This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My guest today is someone who I'm sure you guys have all heard of. Ella Mills of Deliciously Ella is the incredible author, entrepreneur, yoga teacher, and mother who founded the Deliciously Ella brand back in 2012 and has continued and evolved as a champion of wholesome cooking and a plant-based lifestyle. It's so interesting having Ella as a guest on the podcast because she is someone who I've followed for years, but we've never properly spoken, which is crazy, which is why I'm so excited to have the opportunity to have her here today. Ella, how are you doing? I know. Do you know what? I thought the exact same thing. I followed you for so long. I feel like I know so much about you. Um, So it's really lovely to actually have an opportunity to talk properly. I am doing so well. Honestly, it's so sunny. The world is opening up. There's a sense of optimism around and I feel like it's quite contagious. I agree. And we're speaking at a time when COVID restrictions are slowly lifting. But how have you found the last year? I guess it's been a challenging one for everyone in various different ways. But you welcomed a new baby. You've had lots of change. How has it been for you? Do you know what? It's been such a mixed bag. I feel like the answer would have depended exactly when you asked the question, really. I guess one of the, I mean, the biggest thing is May, who's my second daughter, she was born in October. So she was born when restrictions were a little bit looser. Mm. And then about two and a half weeks or so after she was born, we went back into lockdown and we were kind of there for the first six, six and a half months of her life. And Skye, who's my first daughter, she was born 14 months before that. So they're really close in age. And with her, I only had four weeks of actual maternity at home. And then I was back to work. And she was back to work a lot with me, but trying to juggle that postpartum period Mm -hmm. and the intensity of the emotions, the hormones, the changes, the sleep deprivation, the breastfeeding and so on, while you were working and running around and rushing and rushing was so so hard in retrospect at the time that was what I had to do and you were just doing it and I think having been able to actually have this time with May and go slower Mm. has been a blessing that I just really didn't expect to get that has been such a cornerstone of the last year and actually having so much time with them I mean don't get me wrong working from home with two children under two is like living in a zoo. I don't envy you. I'm going to be totally honest. (laughs) Yeah, no, honestly, it's literally like living in a zoo. We also don't have any doors in our house, which I mean, we have on our bedroom, but like our living room, kitchen, everything's completely open. And our kitchen is in the basement and our living room and our office space at where we work is on the first floor. So there's a bit of separation, but so much of the time, Sky will just sit at the bottom of the stairs shouting, Dada! Dada! <laughs> <laughs> and you're meant to be on a really important call and she's just shouting up to you or like making horse noises or like monkey noises. Do you know what? I think this year has made people more forgiving for that sort of stuff though. It's really interesting that particularly parents like I've had loads of meetings and stuff over the last year where you know someone's like oh sorry just need to go and check on my child quickly and you're like yeah fine whatever you know it's there's a much more relaxed approach to it now in a way that I just don't think we had you know two years ago and in a way I think it's great 
you know, in some ways it's, it's blurred the boundaries between work and life, which I'm not sure is a hugely positive thing, but in other ways it's allowed people to work much more flexibly, which I think is great. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, humanised it a little bit because I think sometimes our interactions at work, especially if they're not with colleagues that we know well, can be quite, they're very formal, mm. aren't they? And mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of more authenticity and a greater sense of kind of openness and communication and understanding between people when you can see that little bit more into people's lives, which I think is only good actually for building relationships because the more you understand about someone, I think the the more collaboratively you're able to do things. I, yeah, completely agree. I completely agree. And I think, you know, it's been really interesting to see you document your your journeys of motherhood, both the first and the second with Sky and with May, because it's been interesting for you to talk about how, you know, each journey with motherhood with each child is really different. You know, you speak about how they're quite different characters, they have different needs. And I found that really interesting because you kind of assume that once you've done it once, it's like, okay, carbon copy for each child. But really you've kind of, shared how you've taken a different approach I I think breastfeeding is one of the things that you've said has been very different do you feel like it's given you that space to maybe do things differently in a way that you might not have done had COVID not been you know around oh absolutely honestly I mean first of all they are so different it's extraordinary given how close they are in age neither of us can get our head around how different they are (laughs) sky is like she's like a tornado she burst into the world 10 days early like just appeared like that and she that's exactly her character Mm. like she's so fiery and confident and hilarious she's so fast and she's so fiery and she's so independent I was so excited to do weaning because I thought oh share a love of food no refused everything until she could feed herself when she was almost one like she's so independent and May is the polar opposite she's like a really soft gentle character and it's been so different but I think as you said definitely for me my experience of motherhood has been so different both times I think the reality I think of when you run your own business Mm -hmm. is that there are so many upsides and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world but there's a level of responsibility and a pressure that comes with that responsibility that's there 365 days a year 24 7 as obviously I'm sure you would attest to as well Mm -hmm. and that doesn't stop just because you have a baby. And I I did get pregnant really, really quickly with Sky as well. So there had been no foresight and planning in terms of trying to align any semblance of work schedule around it. So I had a book deadline and a book shoot and all kinds of other deadlines that coincided literally with her when she was born. And there was was nothing to do other than go back to work straight away. And I think I thought it would be easier than it probably was just because you don't know what you don't know. And again, at the time, I think I had so much adrenaline in my system and I, I just knew I had to do it. COVID then hit when she was about seven, eight months old. And obviously the world did slow down a bit and I had a bit of time to reflect. And it really was a kind of unbelievably intense time emotionally. Mm. And so having the space to then be able to take a bit of a step back. And this time I actually took three months off with May. And obviously that was really made possible by COVID, totally honestly, because so much of my role was taken back because so much of it's public mm. facing. And and that was, yeah, an unbelievable blessing. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's been amazing to watch. And it's really nice to, I mean, I really enjoy watching people's motherhood journeys on Instagram. I think it's so inspiring um, and how different everyone does it as well. But I want to take you back. Your story is obviously incredible, how you built your businesses and you've grown into such a successful person and a brand. Can you take me back and talk about 
really how you began doing what you do, blogging, sharing your story online. What was the kind of first steps that you took into doing what you do now? Yeah, I mean, the ridiculous thing really is the whole thing's an accident to some extent. So kind of all the way back in 2011, I was a student. I was at uni in St Andrews in Scotland totally normal student having such a good time and out of nowhere the summer of my second year I got really sick and it completely wiped me out I spent about three or four months in and out of hospitals seeing all kinds of different specialists I actually my stomach problems were the first kind of clear sign I actually looked more pregnant then than I did when I was seven months pregnant with Sky that's how swollen I was and I had chronic fatigue and I had chronic headaches I couldn't control my heart rate my blood pressure so on and so forth and I was 21 and I was on steroids and tried beta blockers and I was on I think about four five six different medications Mm. a day at one point and antacids and literally you name it I tried it basically and it didn't really make any difference because you know kind of slightly boring but they're all repurposed from different other conditions Mm. for this because it was a really quite a new condition that the doctors were still kind of trying to figure out what was going on and as a result they work really well for some patients and they don't work that well for other patients and and it just happened that they didn't work that well for me and I hit an absolute rock bottom after about a year one of the medications I was on which I didn't realize the side effect was was depression and it certainly took what was already a pretty dark state to the next Mm. level and I just got to a point where it was a bleakness that I have fortunately never experienced since and never imagined to experience. And I I realised that the, everything that I'd ever imagined for my life wasn't going to happen if things stayed the way they were. I would never have been able to have a job. I would never have been able to have a kind of regular life. I couldn't see any friends. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And I I was out of options. I'll never forget that. The conversation with the doctor when he said, you have tried everything that we currently have and that we currently use. And I still could barely leave the house. And so I decided the reality is, is for that that whole year, or for me, I'd put the whole onus onto the doctors and they were absolutely brilliant. They are brilliant. But I'd taken zero level of personal responsibility in terms of just seeing what else I could do to support myself, to support my body. And I became interested in that and I became interested in lifestyle and nutrition specifically, but also looking at supporting the body and your nervous system and your sleep mm. patterns and things. And and that was the start of Delicious Ciela was I decided that I was very interested in supporting my body, nourishing it, but I couldn't cook, didn't really have any interest in sort of fresh food, whole foods. So, you know, I ate, I think, very normally. I think when I talk about this, people assume that you're eating kind of actively very unhealthily but I think it was a very normal diet which is a lot of cereal and pasta and sauces but really not much fresh food like not many greens and veggies and and not much cooking just sort of a sandwich here and there kind of as you're out and about and not much thought into it but I realized if this was the kind of food that I wanted to eat that I'd need to learn to cook properly because boiled broccoli obviously is not not the one And I'm just such a believer in the fact that, you know, yes, it's fantastic to eat healthy food. But the the reality is, is the only way that's going to happen is if it's exciting, if it's delicious, if it's got loads of color and flavor and texture and abundance. You know, and I know it's something that you're really passionate about is looking after your body isn't about deprivation. It's not about diet. It should be a pleasure, you know, moving your body, 
eating well for your body should be something that makes you feel great on every level, emotionally, physically, mentally. Mm. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. And it's so important to treat it as such. And I realized that unless I learned to cook well and enjoy that, that was never going to be the case. And it was therefore never going to last because nothing lasts, nothing becomes a part of your life unless you want to do it and you have to love doing it. And so I decided I would start cooking and that's where Delicious Yellow came from. I started sharing recipes and wasn't the only one looking for this. I mean, the, the mad thing is it's it's not even 10 years ago. And yet at that point, cooking kind of whole food, natural mm-hmm. plant-based food was very strange and very weird. And when I told people this is what I was doing, people looked at me like, what will you eat? And now these sorts of recipes, you, just, you know, using lentils and chickpeas and all this sort of thing is so mm-hmm. normal. And you can find these anywhere in any restaurant on the high street, which is an incredible evolution. But at that point, it wasn't the case. And so it felt like you kind of needed to do it yourself. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing journey. And I think it's really interesting that both you and I started out in an online space that is so different to the one that we exist in now. And I think that's one of the most interesting things is you're absolutely right. Like when you first started blogging and, and using Instagram, I remember you one of the first people that I followed and it was so like new and there were very few people that were doing it and it was exciting and cool and you know it very quickly grew into a very different space and one that you and I have both had to evolve and grow into and I wondered if you could maybe talk about how your relationship with that side of things has changed one of the things I really noticed about you is from those early days to now I feel like you definitely have incredible boundaries when it comes to social media I think you're really responsible with how much you keep back and how much you share and I don't know whether that's a conscious decision or just something that you've grown into doing but your relationship with social media the online world how has that really evolved and changed since those early days when you first started blogging it's such a great question I think it's such an important topic and it'd be fascinating to hear what you think I mean for me I loved Instagram Mm. particularly when it first started I thought it was really exciting space and I think especially when I started Delicious Yellow and I started learning about this it's you know it's obviously my great passion it's become the kind of cornerstone of my life and to be able to connect with like-minded people particularly when this was kind of quite weird and quite niche and I didn't have friends and family who were interested in it that was amazing and something that I think made a huge difference both personally and professionally and it's felt as though over the last kind of 10 years or so, it's just become such a loaded space. I think that's the beauty for me of a podcast is it, it takes it away from that. But I've found that social media, particularly Instagram has just become very loaded. And as a result, I think there's sometimes just a bit of depth that's missing from it. A, it's obviously not a platform that lends itself to massive depth because it's so image led. But B, I think there is just this kind of I certainly have it, this nervousness of upsetting Mm -hmm. people. And obviously, I don't mean upsetting people and kind of being actively rude, but almost having Mm -hmm. an opinion. Because, you know, at a certain point, when the community becomes of a certain size, what you say isn't going to make everybody happy. It's not going to resonate with people. Obviously, people are going to have different opinions. And that's a fantastic Mm. thing. We need to have different opinions. We need to challenge each other that that's how we grow being mirrors to each other and and there's always more to learn and there's always more to do but I think for me it's just got to a point where I feel sometimes like can you share anything anymore and it's an interesting line to tread and I think as a result for me I've had I think you have to have more boundaries and more awareness and I, I certainly found there was a point where I I was so nervous of sharing opinions and sharing thoughts that i 
you know, there's a vanilla-ness yeah. almost to some things at points. And I've, I've become more aware of that recently and I think more comfortable in, you know, being totally honest and saying, you know, look, this is my experience and this is what mm. I think and this is what I've read and this is what I've learned and I think this is important. And I think what we do, it is important. You know, we, we need to look after our bodies. We know we mm. need to exercise. We know that exercise is so important for both our mental and our physical health and there's just unbelievably robust data on that. But, you know, then they're, they're not always easy conversations to have. No, and I think it's such a good point, And you're absolutely right. I think, if anything, the biggest change that I've noticed over the last seven years, however long I've been doing it, is there is an element of censorship that comes in when you realize that, yeah, the platform is big and nobody wants to go into work every day and be criticized or attacked. You know, nobody wants that. And I think when your job is so front facing as what you and I do it's very normal to say, well, you know, I'm not prepared to put up with this. I'm just going to pull back and pull back. And you're right. You do get to a point, And I've definitely been, had moments of this where you just think, well, what, what the hell am I going to say? Because everything I say, someone's got an issue with. So I'm just going to say nothing. And then you're right. You become very beige and, and, you know, everything's very sort of like, I'm just going to be agreeable and nice and say things that people agree with. And then you sort of lose the authenticity of what you set out to do, which is be you and people relate to you. And I think it's a real conversation that I've been having with a lot of friends recently is at what point did we stop being able to say what we think and feel? My biggest thing is I am so open to constructive criticism. And I think somebody that comes to me in a constructive way and says, oh, Alice, you said this, but I just think that maybe you could do this, this and this. You know, if it's done in a positive and constructive way, that's what makes me a better person. The difficult thing is when it's done in much more of a kind of antagonistic way, you know, someone that just comes in is like just angry at you for whatever you've done. And so, yeah, I do really hear what you're saying about having to create some healthy boundaries. And I think it's a conversation that that almost everyone needs to have, just being able to know that you don't have to share everything yeah I I completely agree I mean honestly I keep coming back to this and it's something I've really noticed on our own podcast is that so much of the time the conversations whatever they're about such a kind of broad range of topics is it comes back to your relationship with yourself because I think that's fundamentally the issue isn't it is that I think when we're not having a great relationship with ourselves and when we've got low self-esteem then it's so much easier to feel triggered by something that perhaps has nothing to do with you, to take something personally that that isn't personal at all. Obviously, our relationship with ourselves is really nuanced and it obviously exists on a continuum and sometimes it's going to be better than other times. And, you know, that's going to be affected by everything in our lives, including, you know, our hormones as women, times of the month. You know, it's, it's a complicated topic, but I guess the more awareness you can bring to that, the better. It's really easy when you're in a difficult place to find something difficult. I know I found that with motherhood. As I said, my two experiences with the girls are so different. Like May is literally the easiest baby that has ever lived. We have done nothing. That's complete luck. But she has slept through the night since she was like seven weeks old. She just did that by herself. I have done nothing. So I was getting eight hours sleep. Well, if you're getting eight hours sleep and she's happy just to like hang out on a rug on the floor, well, then you can do a yoga class. Sky, polar opposite, never did that. Cried all night long. Not a hope in hell would she just lie next to the yoga mat and like look at a toy. So it was never going to happen. But I think that's a great example because now if I share something like that, people can be upset and say it's unrealistic, creating unrealistic Mm. expectations for mothers 
But for me, it's not an unrealistic expectation because she sleeps through the night. So it's easy. I go to bed at nine. I get up an hour, an hour and a half before she wakes up. I can meditate. I can move. Mm. I feel really great. But I guess now it feels like it has to come with a kind of a PS. You know, this is what my baby doesn't. This is what my other baby did. And it's just becomes, I guess that's the point, isn't it? Is that we need to pull ourselves back from the... You know, we're all so different. Our lives are so different. Our circumstances are so different. Our experiences are so different. And I think the more we can internalize that, the more we can realize that it's okay and we can let other people have their experiences, whatever that is. I was with a friend yesterday and we were talking about this and I was talking about my approach as a coach. And I sort of said, you know, it's hard for me sometimes. And and this is a personal thing that I'm going to own, but I find it quite triggering. And and this was me. So like I've gone through that so I can I can look back and and recognize that this was absolutely me. But I find it triggering seeing a lot of young coaches and personal trainers coming up and sort of being like, oh, it's easy, guys. All you have to do is X, Y and Z and, and you'll get there. Like you just have to be consistent and whatever. And that's fine. And that's probably a message that I peddled about five years ago. But I sort of now I've, you know, worked with clients and I have more experience under my belt. I can imagine that for like a 40 year old woman who's got three kids, a busy job and is really stressed with all all sorts of life issues going on to look at the 21 year old coach and sort of who's sort of saying, guys, it's so easy, you know, and no stress in the world, no full time job, whatever. It's it's really hard because you're in completely different spaces. And I think it always comes back to this thing. You're so right. Your relationship with yourself dictates how you then respond and relate to others. And sometimes it is about looking internally and me looking in and being like, what's the deeper meaning behind why I'm triggered by X, Y or Z? What am I feeling? I think my next question is really around in a world where your children are now going to grow up with social media. You know, I remember at school, I think we had like Facebook and Bebo, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Have you got a mindset or a, or a way that you want to approach social media with them and teach them about it and I guess help them to develop a healthy relationship with it? We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to see how it develops because I think I've just noticed anecdotally as well, so many friends having this conversation and I think people really leaning towards platforms like podcasts because you're able to tune back in to those interests and passions that you have, but you start to get the nuances, yeah. which I think really help. And I think often take away the things that trigger you because you get the depth and you get the context, which I think it's just, that's the problem. I think with something that's so photo led is that you're so often missing context. But I think that's my biggest thing with the girls is that I really, really want to focus on the inner work. And I really just want to try and instill a sense of, kind of really positive self-esteem and self-worth in them and trying to internalize that because I feel that starts to equip you with so much to be able to deal with whatever life throws at you and that obviously very much exists with social media but I think that exists way beyond that as well exactly how I'm going to do it I haven't quite figured it out yet but I think just you know I've got friends who do gratitude practices with their kids and meditation and obviously it's not going to be quite the same as when you do it on your own but I do think I'd really like to to start to share that with them as they start Mm -hmm. to get a little bit older because I think just the way you frame things and if that if that's your natural way of framing the world to look at the positives and and you don't know any different I feel 
I can't help but feel that would equip them really well. It's definitely not something that we did, or I think many people of our generation did. But I think the world's becoming busier and busier and more and more complicated and more and more loaded, really. And therefore, I think it kind of feels more important than ever. But I, I definitely think it's going to be complicated trying to navigate that relationship with them. I think it's a difficult conversation to have because you and I both know that there's both sides of the coin when it comes to social media. There's some things that are brilliant about it, but also there are there are elements of it which are problematic and challenging. And and there are going to be times when they you know will have issues similar to what you and I might go through. And yeah, it's just working through those and having, I guess, an open dialogue about that is, is the most important thing. Now, this podcast is all about strength. And I'd love to hear about some of the challenging moments of your career over the last few years. Obviously, you've talked a lot about about how you've grown the business and it's been incredibly successful and it's been amazing to watch. But have you got any sort of memorable moments that you've had to overcome? And how did you find yourself walking through these? Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, I could sit here for <laughs> at least like four days and run through them <laughs> with you. And, and it's great because I think this conversation about failure and challenge is becoming so much more normal which I think is so important because no one succeeds without that and I always think it's so important to know that that like that there is no such thing as like a linear success story like everything goes up down and all around and I think it's the success comes from your ability to recognize when the challenges are coming and deal with them as quickly as you can but I think that gets easier as well with practice and with time I think the most memorable one, honestly, is we opened our first cafe in December 2015 and we were getting married that April. And I can't even remember what had happened that week, to be totally honest with you. But whatever had happened, everything was going wrong. And I was I just will never forget sitting on the floor of the kitchen, just crying, telling Matt that I couldn't go to our wedding because I just couldn't take time off. Because it was all so stressful and such a nightmare and it was all falling apart and unraveling at the seams. And it really meant that I I didn't think I could go. And him just being like, Ella, you're a complete lunatic. And he's the most amazing business partner because I definitely feel all the feels and go up, down and all around. And he is much better at taking that one step back immediately and engaging that more rational side of his brain, which I think is always important. I think when you're starting out, the biggest challenge, honestly, is the fact that, and probably this was our biggest challenge, is them running the business together. Because when you're starting out, it is really literally 24-7, 365 days a year. And it literally never, ever stops. And there'll be a crisis on Christmas Day and there'll be a crisis on your anniversary. You know, it was our first wedding anniversary and we were meant to go away to Paris for the night. We were literally on our way to the Eurostar and we got a call saying, oh no, Tesco need these new line forms by Monday, which means we spent our wedding anniversary in the porter cabin of a factory, eating literally like 47 kilos of granola to decide the exact amounts of cinnamon. So it'll exist on that kind of spectrum where you just have to be completely sort of open to the fact that your life isn't in your control in any shape or form. The reality is you absolutely can't do it all. I mean, I'm the first person to say I think we've had zero social life for the last seven years because, you know, we love our work, but our work is so all consuming and there's a you know, you can't just say, oh, no, I'm off now. Sorry, this is my day off. I have no idea what a day off is. And that's that's great. It's all part of it. You can't have the ups without the downs. But I think that's probably the biggest experience. I think in terms of kind of 
clear things we we really overextended ourselves when we started and we had such ambition and excitement for what we were doing and spreading the message but we just originally the plan for delicious yellow and man i started working together was physical spaces and we wanted to open loads and loads of cafes as we started doing that we started to get opportunities to bring our food products into retail Mm. and that then grew really really fast and the reality was that we couldn't do the books and the app and that side of delicious Ciela and this massive growing retail business I mean we went into about 5,000 stores in the first 12 months at one point we had about 80 people in our team and it was honestly it was just too much too fast and we had to unwind some of that and recognizing that and recognize that you've overextended yourself to a point that things could break is really really difficult and when we made that decision we also then had the press then wrote all about how the business was failing and about how the business was literally going under we were in Morrison's at that point and I actually had a call from the CEO of Morrison's checking that we weren't about to stop listing our products in there because he thought we were going out of business and I mean it was also incredibly frustrating because at that point we're in about 7,000 stores with about 30 products and yeah, everyone was like, oh, they're failing. And people took a lot of joy in that. And I know that from like one of my best friends. She said, you know, honestly, totally honestly, I, like some of my friends were like, oh my God, has Ella failed? It's just awful. Like, is it finished? Yeah. And it's so, it's just interesting. You know, we we have had a lot of success and, and I'm the first person to own that. And a huge part of that, of course, is luck and right time, right place. But I'd say most of it is like just continuously picking yourself up from the next problem. That's it's mind blowing that people still exist in that mentality. And I know what you mean. They almost take is it like Schadenfreude where you um, take pleasure in other people's sort of like sadness or demise. And I think it's just it blows my mind that you can't be happy for someone's success and that you've always got to find fault with it or be happy when they sort of do something wrong. I think it's really odd. But I really respect what you're saying about that level of growth and expansion and almost not, not being quite ready for that. But I think there must have been an element in your career where you've had to recognize that you can't do everything yourself. And I think it's a hard thing to learn because I've definitely felt this, you know, I want to be in control of everything and, and my brand is me. So I have to, you know, do everything myself and it has to be my words. And it has to be this, but really relinquishing control of some areas is a challenging thing in itself. And I guess for you, did you find that in that expansion, whilst you are still the face of the business, it was learning to, I guess, hand over elements of it to other people and, and what that was like? Definitely. And I think that came with a few interesting learnings from my part. When Matt and I first started working together, there was a really clear boundary and there still is between what the two of us do. That's why we started working together, which is that I have an absolute passion for what it is that we do and why we do it, you know, why we care about this, why it matters. And I absolutely love the content side of it and driving that forward and and standing for what we stand for. I absolutely love that. And he loves financial models. You know, he loves looking at our supply chain. I I really don't. And I'm really happy to own that now and pass that all over to him. And I think for us, having a clear boundary is really important as well from a personal perspective, from a relationship perspective. But when we first started working together, he has always said, and he's so good at this, at saying, you know, own what you don't know it's good to be the dumbest person in the room. That's how you learn. And that's how we'll succeed. And he was absolutely right. But for example, then when we wanted to start the product side of the business, you know, neither of us had any experience in manufacturing. And so we said, okay, well, we need to hire the best person for this role. 
And so we hired this fantastic guy, still a really good friend of ours, who was the head of innovation at Innocent. And he came and he worked with us and he was so, so brilliant. But suddenly, you know, I was still so young at this point. I was about 24, 25. And you're sitting in the meeting with these people, someone who's so experienced, so well-respected in the industry, knows so much. And you really know very little about this. And you're sitting there and you're kind of thinking, why am I even here? Mm. And I think that was a really interesting experience. And I remember one meeting, we then hired several other people, a commercial director. And again, you know, they all had a huge amount of experience in areas that you don't have experience in. And I remember sitting there and them talking about something and they were talking about something called an FSDU. And I remember I had such a difficult, you know, I just sat there for an hour being so down on myself, literally being like, why are you here? What's the point? You know, you started it, but you can't do much for it now. And then, you know, all they were talking about was a freestanding display unit. It's basically just a cardboard box. (laughs) It's just an industry term for like a a patent cardboard box, basically which always just makes me laugh because it just shows, you know, it's just about experience. And, you know, if you've not talked about them before, why would you know the acronym for it? Mm. But it was easy to be quite down on myself and I think feel a bit unsure on kind of where where my place was and how I could really support Delicious Yella in the best possible way. So I think that's been a big part of it. And, And obviously I know infinitely more now than I do then but I think in realizing that over time it's actually also realizing where your strengths lie and where you can really help the business and where actually you can't and I think for me that was really realizing like you know I'm very very passionate about eating well and about looking after your body and I feel I can communicate that well and that's where my strengths are and that's what I can do for us and for our community and actually what Matt can do and all our colleagues can do is actually write commercial reports and look at margin structures and supply chains and manufacturing patterns and I'm never going to be that good at that and I think the more again I guess it comes back to that relationship with yourself the more more secure I felt in myself the more I felt okay to let go and to say you know what take my ego out of it completely this is not where I'm best placed and actually I can use my time so much more effectively if I'm not part of the weekly finance meeting I don't need to be part of the weekly finance meeting I trust Matt with my life and you know if they say we're okay we're okay Mm. and I'll leave the details to them and I'll actually spend that time perhaps that's learning you know I've gone back to school I'm now doing a a degree in nutritional therapy to actually understand more about the food and about the impact of that on your body and being able to explain that more but it's taken years to get to that point to be able to take a step back from so many things and say it's okay you know what yeah I'm not the best placed person for this job Mm. I think another thing that I find really interesting is when you are running a business who at its core is is really focused around health how can you prioritize your health and well-being when you are also so so busy trying to set up a business having two kids studying like you sound incredibly busy and really it would be interesting to 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 know because I'm sure there are so many people listening who have that busy lifestyle they have kids they have a busy job how do you create those boundaries between, I guess, business and pleasure, but also just prioritize your health as well as working for an incredibly successful business? Yeah, I think honestly, what I really realized is that, and I'm such a believer in this, is that being happy, feeling good is not easy. And it is easy for some people. And I hear that it's not easy for me. I'm the first Mm -hmm. person to say that. Like, I think that 
it takes a lot of discipline, which actually I feel, it sounds kind of ironic because I don't think the word discipline and the word happy necessarily feel like they go together. But in my opinion, they go together. They're inextricably linked. I think mm. you don't get what you want without putting in the work. And as I said, and I, I don't think it's easy and it does take sacrifice to some extent. You can't have it all. And I think it's just about deciding what your priorities are. For me, my priorities are my family and my work and as a result, I need to be the best that I can be and feel the best that I can feel to do the best job of that. Yeah. And that means, I mean, we're asleep by 9.30 every night because we get up at 5.30, by 5.30, so that we have at least an hour before the girls get up. And I meditate every day and I move and we both do that together. Mm. And I would not be able to do as much as we do in any given day certainly not do it well if I don't have that time but that obviously means a sacrifice because that obviously means you can't do everything else and you don't stay out late you know I I don't drink and that's just a personal choice because I love my work I love my family and I want to be able to give them the best of me and I'm not the best of me if I don't have any time for myself or if I, I don't get just a bit of time to do what I love and what I need and as I said, I feel like it's a really frustrating answer in some ways because I, w- I wish I had a easier solution. But I guess that's been my experience is that there's, there's just no way to do it otherwise. And I think the biggest lesson from that and what I'm hearing is throughout your life, your priorities are always going to change. You know, mine right now is that I will always make time for exercise and I'll make time to see my friends and I'll, you know, I'll make time for certain things that I see right now as being a priority. And it's a conversation that I have with my clients as well. But those priorities will change as you get older and different things come into your life and other things go. And it's okay to have to pull back on some stuff to excel at others and that you can't give yourself to everything in your life. Like there are some moments where you're going to have to make sacrifices and it's about looking at your life and saying what are the things that are really important to me those are the things that I'm going to give myself to which means that oh actually in this this and this area I need to pull back a bit because I can't be everything to everyone and it's a lesson that I've really had to learn definitely over the last couple of years is like going back to what we said about you can't do everything and having to delegate you know certain things to other people and and learning not to not to be so in control of everything is I am very clear on what my priorities are now and I will absolutely carve out time in my day to do that and yeah that means that I am exactly the same as you I go to bed at 9 30 and I get up at 5 30 and that works for me and going back to what we were saying at the start that triggers some people they're like why do you need to get up so early like why do you have to go to bed at 9 30 like how do you do it and it's like you know what like this works for me and I've pushed and pulled in certain areas to get me to a place where I prioritize my health at the same time as prioritizing my business and there are going to be times in my life where I'm sure those priorities will change but right now it sounds like you are in a good place with those and I think it's a really a really interesting lesson to learn and one that does take time to adjust to. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And as you said, you know life's phases and you know there'll be a phase when the girls are older and they'll sleep later and we'll do things differently and maybe yeah. we won't go to bed at nine o'clock anymore and I'll spend more time with friends and you know it will everything will shift and everything will adjust and and nothing is kind of binary but I think as you said it's just about recognizing where you are today mm. and what it is today that's the most important thing to you and and how can you best show up for that and for yourself as a result and I think it's just so easy to try and do everything. And I really, really relate to that. And I think as a result, you can just end up feeling so pushed and pulled and so exhausted 
to a point that you're not getting the enjoyment from it. And I think that was the question that I started asking myself is like, why am I doing this? Mm. And obviously there's things that you just got to do, but it's, you know, why are you doing it? You know, if you love your job, then you're doing it because you love it as well. It's obviously, it's so important. Obviously we all need to earn money, but also can you give more to it in order to get more from it? Because if you're going to spend eight, nine hours a day there, you know, how, how do you get what you want from it? And I think for me, that's again, just showing up, not being exhausted, not having 7 million other things on my mind at any given time. And I just can't do that without my nine o'clock bedtime. Yeah, (laughs) And I think that's okay. And I used to be so embarrassed about it. And as you said, because, you know, it's maybe doing something different from other people, but that's okay. It's, it's whatever you need to do. And that's so different for every single person listening. Mm, I completely agree. Moving forwards and looking to the future, Ella, what inspires you in your business now? How do you keep it constantly evolving? And can you maybe share some of the goals that you have for the Deliciously Ella brand for the future? Yeah, I mean, honestly, from day one, like the inspiration has been our community. And knowing that you're able to make a tangible change to someone's life is kind of the most humbling thing in the world the other day I was out walking with the girls and I bumped into someone who was out with a little girl who must have been about the same age as Sky. she's nearly two and she was like you know thank you so much for sharing about your meditation recently and the yoga classes on the app I've been doing five minutes or ten minutes every day before she gets up and it's making the biggest difference and it's such a small thing but it was just you know that literally means the world and it keeps giving you a reason to do what you do. And every time I feel like maybe it's too much, you get a message like that saying, this is making a tangible difference to my life. And it's, you know, what more could you ever ask for? And I think that's, that for me is why we do it. I guess on a kind of more micro level and a more macro level, I, Delicious Yellow is a very kind of fun, I hope accessible, you know, in terms of being open and pretty lighthearted on the surface. And for me, that's very important. That's the way we're going to get people to eat more greens is by showing a delicious recipe for pasta with sorted garlicky greens, for example. But I think when you look beyond it, we have two fundamental issues. If the world keeps growing as fast as it's growing, the estimation is that we'll have 10 billion people on the planet by 2050. We can't feed all those people a sustainable diet both for health and for the planet it's it's impossible without some seriously radical changes and that has to happen and that means you know you look at the eat lancet report that's the biggest study ever done on the correlation between how we create sustainable diet both for human health and for planetary health and it shows what we need is a fundamental shift towards a plant-based diet if not a predominantly plant-based diet and that's only going to happen if it feels accessible and delicious and you know, we have got a very serious health crisis on our hands and it's incredibly complicated and there's a lot of socioeconomic factors involved. And I don't mean to try and simplify it by saying let's just eat broccoli by no means, but we do need to eat more broccoli and we do need to sleep a bit more and we do need to move a bit more. And how are we going to do that unless it's fun and unless it's interesting, unless it's vaguely accessible? And that's where my passion comes in, because I see no choice but for us to go in this direction. I mean, it's totally unsustainable to think we can keep killing five billion fish a minute. It's just not going to happen. And so something has to change. And I hope that we can be there and it's not to shame people, it's not to make people feel guilty, but it's to make positive choices. And as I said, I feel like the only way to make positive choices is coming right back to what I said at the beginning was for me to change my diet had to be something that I wanted to do. 
and to want to do it has to taste good and be easy and be a genuine joy to do which is exactly obviously what you do with getting people moving like it's got to be fun it's got to be kind to your body it's got to be applicable for you and and that's for me what what keeps me going is I think you know we we need to shift in this direction and if we're able to support that shift that means the world yeah what a powerful answer that was I've got goosebumps then that was amazing (laughs) Ella I'm gonna wrap up with my final question to you obviously like I said this podcast really centers around strength and I'd really like to ask you where your personal strength comes from I know that you've had to go through some really challenging moments over the last couple of years and I'd love to understand a little bit about where your inner strength comes from do you know what honestly it's probably not a bad answer but it's it's honestly it's from Matt it's from my husband he had the most extraordinary upbringing his mum who passed away a few years ago now was just the most unbelievable mother and Mm -hmm. he just internalized every part of that and he has this sense of ease and balance and inner strength like no one I've ever met and I certainly did not used to have that. I certainly did not have such a good relationship with myself and I had pretty low self-esteem in retrospect. And I just never, ever thought I could feel as happy as I do today. And that's honestly, you know, yes, there have been, you know, practices like meditation and like yoga have really allowed me to kind of channel that Mm. and have that daily check-in with myself. And they have been absolutely invaluable and have given me a huge amount of strength. But it's that initially it was the mirror he held up to myself and to the flaws that I really didn't like about myself and wanted to shift Mm. in the early part of our relationship and the support he gave in shifting that is invaluable and that just knowing that you have someone that you're so interconnected with I mean we literally spend 24 7 together even pre-pandemic running the business together and having the girls together but he's just yeah shown this kind of light and this way of living that I I didn't really know before and has just totally transformed my life and given me the strength and confidence and to kind of go after what it is that I really want for my life. Mm. I don't think it's a bad answer to say someone else has changed your life because I think it's normal. Like I, I, I com- complete the same. I think there are people that come into your life for various different reasons and they bring something different to what you can do with yourself. And I think, you know, that that's life. And I think it's wonderful that that he's had such a positive impact on you. Ella, I'm just so grateful for your time. You've been wonderful to chat to you. And we finally got to have a proper chat. <laughs> I know, I know. It's been, it's been so nice. Yeah, it's been lovely. Oh, well, thank you for having me. you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening